What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Be sure to hit that like button, subscribe if you haven't already, comment as well. Um, I don't know if you all saw what happened on Thursday night's Dead Bread show, but Tom Grossi, who is majorly popular on YouTube, sent a bunch of his followers uh, to raid my chat and basically support me and socks so a lot of subscriptions a lot of likes and a lot of good stuff there so shouts to tom garassi once again um but also give us a five star rating on apple podcasts and do all the good stuff also five star rating for twin bill as we will be very active this off season talking about the yankees management changes and all this sort of stuff uh but we got the seahawks hosting the new york giants at four on sunday uh, going to be a very interesting game. It's the only game during the week that has two teams with a winning record. Um, you know, I didn't think that Seattle was going to have a winning record coming into this matchup. I didn't think the Giants were going to have a winning record coming into this matchup. But both teams have faced different types of adversity, and they've really have, you know, played better because of the adversity that they have faced. Um so this is going to be an extremely tough game. This is going to be a game that we're going to talk about. Uh, it's going to be ground and pound for both sides, in my opinion. You know, I don't think there's going to be too many passing yards. I think Geno Smith maybe has more than Daniel Jones. Um, but I would be surprised if uh, both teams' rushers, like Saquon Barkley and Kenneth Walker, I would be surprised if they don't get 100 yards each. But, uh, you know, it's the NFL, so anything could happen, right? As for the injury report... Uh, Daniel Bellinger, Ben Bredesen, Evan Neal, Kenny Galladay, and O'Shane Zimenez are all out. Uh, Bellinger with the eye injury, Bredesen with a knee injury, Cordell Flood with a calf injury, uh, knee injuries for Evan Neal and Kenny Galladay, and then quad injury for O'Shane Zimenez. Tyree Phillips is questionable with a toe injury. Jason Pinnock is questionable with a foot injury, and Leonard Williams questionable uh, with an elbow injury. So, I mean, we'll see if they play. Um, I... You know what? I'll save it for later in the show. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil what I was gonna say. But you take a look at the uh, Seahawks injury report. Uh, Nick Ballore is out due to a concussion. Penny Hart is doubtful with a hamstring injury. But the questionable. It does get into the nitty gritty here. Uh, Tyler Lockett new injury with the ribs. Uh, it was his hamstring. Now it's his ribs too. Uh, so he may or may not play come Sunday, which would be big for the New York Giants. Uh, Sidney Jones, groin injury, DK Metcalf, knee injury, uh, Daryl Taylor, groin injury, another big player on that defense, uh, Gabe Jackson, hip and knee injury, questionable, the, all these guys are questionable, uh, right guard on that offensive line, Puna Ford, defensive end with an ankle injury, and then Phil Haynes, who would be the backup to Gabe Jackson if he cannot go, he is questionable with a concussion injury he sustained last week, as will be covered, and a lot of other things will be covered. Uh, in the interview with Mookie Alexander, who uh, was nice enough to sit down with me for 30 minutes talking about this game, talking about the Seahawks, and a lot of these other different things. Um, so that's that. Let's move into the stats section. The Giants rank 19th in total yards per game, 30th in passing yards, 2nd uh, in rushing offense, and 18th in points per game. Defensively, they rank 19th in total yards per game, 15th against the pass, 28th against the run. And in points per game, I believe they're one of the top units, defensively at least. Let's take a look because I feel like I had a miscalculated number. Let's take a look. No, I want team stats. 
obviously it's not giving it to me because you know that's uh typical uh we're doing this live here typical you know but you know fifth in uh terms of points per game so they're a pretty good scoring defense um you take a look at the advanced analytics for the giants will go offense first 29th in passing percentage fourth in run percentage 31st in pass percentage on first down and third in run percentage on first down uh then you look at the advanced analytics for the defense first in blitz percentage 19th in pressure percentage and 21st in sacks obviously that was you know it's it's a week-to-week basis you know it's a week-to-week league in the nfl um but you know they really couldn't get a ton of pressure they really didn't blitz a ton against trevor lawrence so obviously the numbers went down uh seahawks wise they're 12th in total yards per game offensively 16th in passing offense 10th in rushing offense 5th in points per game defensively they're 29th in total yards per game 23rd against the pass 30th against the run and 28th in points per game not a ton of talent on that defense um you know obviously Tariq Woolen stands out Shelby Harris stands out a guy who's really good against the run um but other than that I mean you have to count names I mean Quandre Diggs really isn't playing well he was battling an injury to start the year I don't know if he's still battling it um, but just not a ton of talent on that defense, and I think that's something that the New York Giants, whether it's the running game or the passing game, can exploit. Um, advanced analytics-wise, they're 22nd in pass percentage, 11th in run percentage, 22nd in pass percentage on first down, and 16th in run percentage on first down. Um, and then you take a look at their defensive analytics metrics, whatever you want to call them. 24th in blitz percentage, 17th in pressure percentage, and 11th in sacks. So... Things to look for. Then we go to players to watch. Then we go to questions to answer, keys to win, and all that other stuff. Uh, if you're familiar with how we do it on here. Things to look for. I think the number one thing is the pounding of the running game. Um, Kenneth Walker, Saquon Barkley, two of the best backs in the league. Um, you know, Kenneth Walker, the rookie. Saquon Barkley reemerging over the last year or last few weeks, I should say. Um, from the injuries he's had over the course of the last two years. Um, and obviously scheme and a lot of different things uh, you know, come into play about Saquon Barkley's production on the field. But he's been outstanding for the Giants this year. And you know, a lot of Seahawks fans, as uh, Mookie will tell you later on, were not a fan of that Kenneth Walker pick. But then Chris Carson retired, or Chris Carson retired. I forget which order was in. But they weren't a fan of the Kenneth Walker pick. Then, obviously, you know they changed their minds very quickly on that. So, uh, both run defenses are terrible. The linebacking cores are terrible for both teams. Um, and I'm talking inside, of course. So, uh, look for a pounding of the running game. Again, kind of like, um, you know, we've seen games in the past. I really can't think of a game in the... Well, you could say the Giants did pound the run against the Bears. Um, but they didn't really pound the run too much against us. Uh, wasn't really too successful. Uh, Marquise Goodwin emergence. If Tyler Lockett it cannot play, and I've seen some different thoughts. People saying, oh, Tyler Lockett's going to play. Oh, Tyler Lockett's not going to play. If he doesn't play and DK doesn't play, um, Marquise Goodwin, I think, is going to emerge. Uh, Will Disley as well. I mean, he's been a solid tight end over the last few years. He's suffered some injuries. Uh, but he is, you know, Marquise Goodwin had a very good game against the Chargers last week. I think he recorded two touchdowns in the absence of DK Metcalf. Um, but uh, he, the Giants going to have to cover him either way because one of these receivers is going to be out. If 
Um, you know, both of them are in, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I mean, you'll need to watch. Maybe one of those guys gets put in the slot. Um, maybe it's Marquise Goodwin or Tyler Lockett, and they're going up against Darnay Holmes, and Darnay Holmes, uh, he looks overmatched at times. I mean, he was overmatched a little last week against them Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, stunts to test Josh Zudu. I don't know if they're a stunt team. I must say, I don't know if they're a stunt team that they run stunts up front. I don't think they're that creative. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, you know, definitely, I think a test on the inside for uh, Zudu is Shelby Harris and Quinton Jefferson. Um, you know, those are two guys that are known across the league. They're underrated, you could say. Uh, Jefferson is three sacks on the season. We'll go into much more statistics when it comes to players to watch, but also Shelby Harris is a tough defensive lineman to face. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's not many tests on that defensive line um, in terms of what the Giants have to look up against. Maybe I'm overlooking some players. I don't know. And then uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and Charles Cross. A lot of Seahawks fans have been satisfied with what Charles Cross has been giving them. Um, also, you have Abraham Lucas on the other side. They activated Quincy Roche and put him on the 53 last week. So he's going to be getting another test at this again with O'Shane Zimmon is out and uh, Jihad Ward also factoring in there. So um, I think this could possibly be, you know, uh, another week that Tibbs, you know, maybe he doesn't get a sack, but maybe he gets a ton of pressures. Um, but they need to. They need to go after the quarterback. They need to blitz, even though Geno's been good against a blitz. Um, you know, third down really hasn't been too gracious to the Seattle Seahawks. So let's go into players to watch. And obviously, right off the bat, you have to look at one guy, and he leads the entire team. He honestly is part of the reason, if not most of the reason, that they're winning. That's Geno Smith. 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. Um, 1,712 yards, completion percentage is 73.5. I mean, I would love the New York Giants to just knock his completion percentage. Um, you know, obviously, I, I just, I'm stunned. I'm really stunned um, at the way he's just sprouted. He looks like a top quarterback in the league. You know, if you're a Seahawks fan, you were thinking coming to this year, okay, Geno's just going to hold us over and Drew Locke until we get a quarterback next year. Maybe rethinking that? which is, you know, possibilities on the table. Uh, but Geno Smith, man, he, he's had a hell of a fucking season. And, you know, he should be a pro bowler. He should be a pro bowler. He's played better than Aaron Rodgers, you could say. He's played better than Tom Brady. So, and those are, you know, not knockoff names. Those are potential Hall of Famers. And I know, yes, the aging factor, but, you know, Geno Smith, man, he was a bust with the Jets. With the Giants, you know, he was a backup and a starter for one game. Then he went to the Chargers, I think. Then he came to the Seahawks. It's been uh it's been a carousel for him, but I think maybe he's finally found a home. The next guy you want to look at is Kenneth Walker. He's got four hundred and ten rushing yards on the year with four touchdowns, six point one yards per carry. He hasn't fumbled once. Um he's just a dynamic running back that Seattle loves to have in that backfield. I mean, you know, they've been able to balance the pass and the run a little bit more now uh he's just got some really good speed and you know the giants need to have linebackers and safeties that can catch up with this guy i mean obviously you know the defensive line will have 
a test against the offensive line. I mean, the run blocking really hasn't been too gracious um, for the Seattle running backs. You know, the offensive line's been okay for them. But uh, with that being said, it's not going to be just on the defensive line to do their job. It's going to be on the linebackers as it was last game. And, you know, I would honestly, and we'll get to this in a little bit, uh, I would love to see Landon Collins out there a little bit more. I would love to see Micah McFadden out there a little bit more. Uh, just getting some reps and stuff like that. So, uh, Kenneth Walker, that is. You take a look at the receiving core. Um, I'm going to look at some guys just in case, even though they may not play. Tyler Lockett, he's the leading receiver so far. He's got two touchdowns on the season, 468 yards and 41 receptions. DK Metcalf, he's got 31 receptions for 418 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Will Disley's another guy. Once again, if one of those guys is out or um, both of them are out, he's going to be a major factor in the offense. He's got three touchdowns on the season, 194 yards on 19 receptions. He's only missed one target this year, so that tells you he he's a very handsy tight end. And then Marquise Goodwin, uh, two touchdowns, 146 yards. Once again, a lot of those were created against the Chargers. Um, now you look at the defensive side of the football. One name you got to watch is Uchenna Nwasu. Ten quarterback hits, four tackles uh, for a loss. On the season, three sacks, ten pressures. Um, he came over from the Chargers, I believe. I don't think he's a number one pass rusher, but still someone, you know, he might uh, might still wreck some havoc going against Tyree Phillips. I mean, I, I don't think Andrew Thomas is going to have a problem this game, but, uh, you know, Things have surprised me before, but I, I think Andrew Thomas is going to be fine this game. Uh, once again, I'm just worried a little bit about Tyree Phillips, who didn't do too bad against uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars relieving Evan Neal at right tackle. Uh, Quentin Jefferson talked about him a little bit earlier. Three sacks, eight pressures, six quarterback hits, and three tackles for a loss. Total of 16 tackles on the year. Um, you know, he, I believe, was with the Raiders last year. He's been with a couple of different teams across the NFL. And, uh, you know, I think his highest sack count is like four and a half, five and a half. And he's got three in seven games. So he might be looking to eclipse that record and go above and beyond. Um, another guy to look out for, Daryl Taylor. Three sacks. I believe he's got a couple of forced fumbles this year. Let's take a look at his stats. So Daryl Taylor... Um, yeah, three tackles for loss, four quarterback hits, three sacks, three forced fumbles, one fumble recovery for 21 yards. I mean, you know, I guess he could possibly wreck a game, you know, if uh, Uchenna Nwasu's on Thomas's side and, you know, Tyree Phillips gets beat, Daniel Jones better hold on to the football. And once again, it's not like Daryl Taylor is like this, you know, Lawrence Taylor, Micah Parsons type, but it just seems that he has the ability to wreck a game possibly we don't want that to happen um then Tariq Woolen I mean he has been a saint for the defense uh for Seattle that's just you know that's just there uh 46.1 passer rating only one touchdown allowed four interceptions uh 53.3 completion percentage allowed he's been he's been awesome for them this year I mean he's been one of the best uh, corners in the NFL, and you, once again, you take a look at the names like Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley, Woolen's on that list, and he could be Defensive Player of the Year. Well, Rookie Defensive Player of the Year, that is. All right, so let's go into questions to answer. Number one, can Saquon Barkley get 100 yards in back-to-back games? I think he will, um, but it's just going to be how the New York Giants adjust. 
Uh, we've seen some games where he's got like negative three yards in the first half, and then he's got like 120 in the second half. We saw that against the Jaguars. Um, we saw that. I want to say against the Panthers, he might have had 100 against the Panthers. I don't think they, you know, allowed that much. Maybe they did. Um, but, you know, sometimes we see teams like the Jaguars, once again, mentioning them, they were third against the run. Um, and with that being said, like, they gave up 100-some-odd yards to Saquon Barkley. But you take a look at some of these other teams we faced who are terrible, quote-unquote, against the run, and you know they load the box and Saquon's just stuffed for the first half so uh, he could get 100 yards back to back games i know we're expecting a huge rushing contest but um yeah so will Saquon and can Saquon get 100 yards in back to back games um will Daniel Jones be a factor in the ground game like last week i would have to think so um you know obviously he's limited with targets as he has been for the last five weeks. Um, you know, Wandell Robinson, Darius Slayton are going to be the top two guys. Marcus Johnson has had trouble catching the football along with Richie James. David Sills has been okay. He's not, he's not going to have Daniel Bellinger, his safety blanket. So, um, you know, also I find it interesting as well that we haven't heard anything about the tight ends. Like, would they call Lawrence Cager up? Would they re-sign Austin Allen and bring him up, you know? Um, I feel like there's another tight end I'm forgetting, but, you know, uh, who knows. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think he'll be a factor. I don't think he's going to have over 100 like he did against the Jaguars, which shocked me. But, um, you know, I think he will be a factor in the ground game. I think he will be a factor in the ground game. Um, it's just going to be interesting. Who do they stop first, Saquon or DJ? The next one is not necessarily in terms of you know, game plan and all this, that, but it's just a general question that I want to find out. Uh, is Nick Gates going to be active? Because if he's active, he's probably going to be taking special team snaps, slowly working his way in. I don't see him getting any offensive snaps, and he's on the roster, so I would actually think he's going to be inactive, which would give maybe guys like Corey Cunningham some snaps, or, you know, not just on offense, but on special teams as well. Um, you know, give some of the backups some action as well. Dev Hamilton, and, you know, these guys have really been, um, you know, getting more action as we go because of the injuries. And, you know, they're not limited on inactive is because they've had so many guys injured. So will Nick Gates be active? We'll see. Uh, the next question, will Landon Collins play more than his 32% last week? I think it's possible. And I honestly think it should happen. I mean, does he have the speed he probably once had? No. Um, but he can still make a couple of nice tackles. He made a stop on a screen. Um, you know, I think his speed and I think his tackling ability is going to be needed this game. Um, you know, I, I didn't see him affect the game too much against Jacksonville. Um, in a negative or positive light, obviously the positive was, you know, stopping that screen pass uh, from going, you know, first down and into the end zone. But uh, he needs to play a little bit more. And... I think that someone else needs to play a little bit more. And he's kind of been shoved into the back of the room. He's been in the corner a little bit. Uh, that's Micah McFadden. Now, Micah McFadden, obviously, is a six-round pick, fifth-round pick. So you're not going to expect too much out of him in his rookie or at least the first few weeks. Um, but obviously, they signed Jalen Smith. Kalitro hasn't been getting reps. Um, they've been rotating guys in and out of the box. Tay Crowder. 
Uh, but I would like to see Micah McFadden against Kenneth Walker. Um, will he win reps? I don't know. I would like to think that Micah McFadden has a little bit more speed than Tay Crowder. Uh, Tay Crowder often at times does get washed up in the whole mesh of the run. So that's, once again, one of the negatives. And, you know, we'll see how the Giants play that overall. Who is the mystery target for Geno if Lockett and Metcalf are out or one of them is covered well? Will it be Disley? Will it be Goodwin? I think it's going to be Disley um, or Goodwin. I mean, one of those guys you could toss it up. Might be Goodwin, though. Then again, too, Fabian Moreau has done a hell of a job at corner. Dory Jackson has done a hell of a job at corner. Uh, depends on where they place Goodwin. But I think Disley, and the next question is, who covers Will Disley? And I think it's going to be Dane Belton. Uh, but it also could be Julian Love. I think Julian Love will have success against them. I think McKinney will have success against them. I don't think Dane Belton will. So I, I think they need to, if they are low on wide receivers for this game, let's just say Lockett's out and so is Metcalf, I would go in and actually maybe, maybe cover Will Disley with a corner. I know they're going to do that for Goodwin either way, but just something I would do. So, you know, I think it's going to be a safety or a linebacker that covers Will Disley. Um, he's not some groundbreaking top tight end in the league, but he's a solid guy uh, who can pass catch and who could block as well. So before we get into the interview, we got two more sections left. We got the keys to win and we got the score prediction as well. Um, number one, it's stop Kenneth Walker. It's stop that ground game. Kenneth Walker, he's been a beast these first few weeks in the NFL. As he got more snaps, you know, he's been one of the best running backs in the league. There's no doubt about that. There's no reason to question that. The Giants need to make this week. Listen, we need to stop this guy. We need to cement that we need to be better in the running game. And take it into the bye week with you because I said last week, I said this is going to be a test. Um you know, against the Jaguars, whether they're actually good against the run or whether they're actually bad against the run, and they're not a good team against the run. I finally acknowledge that. They're not good against the run. So, um, and, you know, things could shape up after the bye. Landon Collins and Micah McFadden might be the linebacking core heading into the rest of the season. But you got to stop Kenneth Walker. Uh, number two, ground and pound. Run the football with Barkley. Run the football with Jones. Get creative. Get a toss play to Matt Breed. Get a toss play or an end around to Wandale Robinson. That's what you got to do. Ground and pound. They're not very good against the run overall. And I don't think they'll be able to stop any creative plays either. Depending on how creative you get. Creative, not cute. Um, and then number three, put pressure on Geno Smith and limit him. He's good against the blitz. But on third down, they just have some big trouble. You know, the offensive line doesn't really block well on third down. Geno Smith gets sacked a lot on third down. Overall, you have to limit him, no matter who's on the field. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league this year, um, no matter who he has on the field. I mean, he was limited a little, bit, a little bit last week, but Disley's a solid option. Goodwin's a solid option. Kenneth Walker out of the backfield probably will be used a little bit more. Uh, DJ Dallas, too. So, you know, Put pressure on Geno. Just limit him. Do not allow him to do what Trevor Lawrence did last week. And he, Trevor Lawrence, yeah, his completion percentage was off, but he got 310 passing yards. Yes, you could attribute that to the last drive and everything, but uh, it's a dead duck discussion. It's a moot point. It's minced meat. Uh, overall, I do have the Giants losing this one. I know I've been calling them, you know, 
in terms of betting on them to lose, and I'm not saying betting on them to lose, but I've been picking them to lose the last few weeks. Um, it was a very close matchup, obviously, with the Jaguars, and I said they would lose one of these next two, and I think Seattle, now that they won in Jacksonville, you can't keep winning these games very slightly. I think they'll make adjustments at the bye, um, and then you face two teams that are not very good. I think they have one win each, maybe two wins for the other team, it's the Texans and the Lions. Um, but Seahawks 21-17, I know that I predicted a ground-and-pound game. However, um, I don't think that results in a lot of high scoring. So it's going to seem defensive, but if you look at the yards, I think there's going to be over 100 on each side. Anyway, um, before you guys leave, got the interview with Mookie Alexander from Field Goals which is the site from SB Nation that covers the Seattle Seahawks. All right, now I am with Mookie Alexander of Field Goals, which is the SB Nation site for the Seattle Seahawks. Mookie, how are you feeling coming into this game? I'm feeling pretty good. Um, certainly not too many people would have predicted at the start of the season that this would be the only game on the Week 8 schedule between two teams with winning records. Certainly nobody would have predicted six and one for the Giants. Four and three for the Seahawks could have been, a, you know, conceivable. But still, this is a pretty big game for both teams. And I, I'm, I'm quite excited to see this because at, through three weeks, it was looking like, oh, man, this is just going to be a, a dog of a matchup. But now this is probably going to be one of the more entertaining games of the weekend. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm also quite scared as well. I can't lie. Um, let's jump right into it. So one of the top headlines for the Seattle Seahawks this season is we know Geno Smith playing at a top level at the quarterback position this year. You guys have, I mean, we, we had him for one year. He started one game. We all know that controversy, but you guys have seen him for, I think more than two years. What has changed in his game that you've noticed that has boosted the level of his play to where before, you know, he was playing like an average quarterback. Now he's playing like a pro bowl quarterback. I think the offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, should get a lot of credit for how this offense is being run. Of course, he's from the, the, the Los Angeles Rams. And, you know, Sean McVay, of course, is the uh, self is pretty much everybody's quote unquote genius because of the fact that he took the Rams to the Super Bowl. With Jared Goff as his quarterback. So with Gino, yeah, I, I as a former New York resident, uh, I saw his games with the Jets and they weren't very good at all. And I know the Jets were not a good team, but also he was part of the problem. Um, but perhaps all these years where he has gotten to sit behind Philip Rivers and Eli Manning that one year and Russell Wilson over the last three years, he's been able to see things a lot better than he did when he was in competition, I guess, with Mark Sanchez or being with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, Fitzpatrick is probably better than Sanchez overall, but still not exactly the, the standard for, for top-level quarterback play. You've got two Super Bowl winners that you're being backups to, and Phillip Rivers is a borderline Hall of Famer, if not a Hall of Famer outright. So the, the way that Geno has played this year, um, it's blown me away because even last year it felt like the, the few starts he had with Wilson, with Wilson injured, it was a lot of safe throws, not a lot of challenging passes deep down the middle of the field or even just deep shots in general. But his arm's been impressive. He's insanely accurate. I mean, he leads the league in completion percentage. And it's not just been check down, check down, check down. He's, he's I believe, 12th in um, yards per attempt or air yards per attempt. So passes thrown beyond the line of scrimmage. And you calculate from there. Um, and he just he runs the offense so well. It's like he's got full command of everything. He's audibled into a few touchdowns. 
Um, he's getting the ball out on time. And as great as Russell Wilson has been over the last decade, certainly not this year in Denver, um, one of his flaws is that he can kind of destroy the structure of a play by improvising too much and not running the play as intended. And with Gino, there's been some improvising, but for the most part, he's throwing with anticipation. He's making the right reads. He, he's, ve- he's made very few, I would consider, reckless decisions. Uh, so the, the, the development of Geno Smith, I guess the closest comparison we have recently would be Rich Gannon because Rich Gannon, not much of a, a, of a quality quarterback for most of his career. And then he goes to the Raiders and he, he becomes an MVP. But even Rich Gannon had a few starts here and there, you know, as opposed to Geno Smith going eight, nine years in between full-time starting jobs. So I'm happy for Geno. Um, he, he certainly gives the Seahawks a lot to think about beyond this season. Because our expectation was, all right, whether it's Geno, whether it's Drew Locke, um, they're going to be looking at drafting a quarterback round one next year. Now, with the way Geno was playing, he doesn't have a lot of tread on the tire. I mean, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on him. He could be the starting quarterback next year, for all we know. He's been that good. So, yeah, it, it's a testament to how Geno has developed and, and seemingly having his head on straight and being able to read defenses and understand the playbook and all that jazz. And also to Shane Waldron, Pete Carroll, and the whole coaching staff for just having such a well-functioning offense with an inexperienced offensive line at that. You got two rookie tackles and you would have thought that would have been a disaster, but so far Gino's been very infrequently sacked on first and second down. It's only third down where he's had some issues with, with staying upright. Yeah, definitely. And just before we go into some more of the offense, offensive pieces, personnel, stuff like that, obviously we know how the trade is working out for Denver. Uh, you guys got a load of picks, Shelby Harris, Noah Fant, Drew Locke. How is that working out for you guys right now? Yeah, Noah Fant, um, I've not been terribly impressed with him so far compared to Will Disley and Colby Parkinson, the other tight ends. But, you know, they picked up his fifth-year option, so he figures to be a part of this team next year. Um, but Shelby Harris been a good part of the defensive line, a, a unit that has struggled mightily for, for much of the season, but Shelby Harris good at batting passes down. He's good at getting after the quarterback. He's one of the better run defenders on the team. So I, I think that Harris has been the best part of the trade in terms of the players they've acquired. Of course, they got Drew Locke. We saw Drew Locke in the preseason. And, uh, I think it's very clear why Geno Smith was starting. And for, for, for Drew, if he's going to be a part of this team anytime soon, it's going to have to be like a one-year prove-it-again because he's just, he's just got too many flaws in his game and his tendency to turn it over in ways that Gino has seemingly eradicated from his game. It's a major reason why I think they went with Gino for, for the job. Um, but yes, this trade, a lot of Seahawks fans, self-included, were incredibly upset over. It's like if we had to choose between Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, most of the fan base would have gone, let's keep Wilson – it's easier to, to get a, a new good head coach than to get a new good franchise quarterback, but they might've been sellers at the, at the right time. And the, the fact that Seattle can get a top 10 pick and still make the playoffs. Nobody would have believed that. I mean, Denver is two and five and they got a brutal schedule ahead of them. Whereas Seattle they're, they're four and three. And even if they don't make the playoffs, even, even if they do drop off to like eight, nine or seven or 10, wherever the playoffs are a bonus at this point. Getting that top 10 pick, whether through our pick or, or the Broncos pick, that's huge for, for building the future of this team, especially with the way that they've just hit home run after home run with, with this year's draft class. Yeah, I have to admit, I mean, over the last few years, I mean, I've been watching from an outsider's standpoint. I'm like, 
I'm not sure what Seattle is doing, but then, you know, they traded Russell Wilson and, you know, you mentioned that a lot of Seahawks fans and obviously a lot of NFL fans were like, you know, what the hell's going on? But it seems right now, you know, obviously things are going good for you guys. You know, I, I seen some Seahawks fans call for John Schneider as his executive of the year. I mean, I, it's just incredible what you guys are doing. I mean, I know what my team is doing. I'm not going to harp on that too much because obviously uh, we're talking about the game. and We're also talking a little bit about the Seahawks. And there's not much to say other than wow about this player. Kenneth Walker. Mm-hmm. How, how would you describe his presence? And I know it's obviously it's, it's kind of an obvious question. Oh, he's been great. But I want to hear a, from a Seahawks fan himself. Well, I got a notebook here just writing a speech for his Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Um, but, but yes, Kenneth Walker. I, th- there were some Seahawks fans. I think a lot of Seahawks fans, um, at least online, were, were a bit annoyed that Seattle took a running back in the second round. Like, you have Chris Carson, you have Rashad Penny. Well, Chris Carson, his career is over, unfortunately, with the neck injury. Rashad Penny has been injury prone, and now he's got this, this broken tibia, so he's done for the year. And the whole thing about taking Kenneth Walker was not about him specifically and more about when to draft a running back because they already took Rashad Penny in the first round. Teams are taking running backs in the first round less and less frequently, and now it's pushed on to should he even take a running back in the second round or at least the early part of the second round because – They've got short shelf lives in this league. And as far as paying them, do you really want to do that? Because a lot of running backs these days don't necessarily have that sort of longevity. But in the meantime, dude's fun. He is an incredible player. And I liked him a lot at Michigan State. I remember the, I think, four or five touchdown game he had against Michigan that that put him in, in like long shot Heisman contention. And he's got that blend of speed, vision, and that, that lateral quickness, I mean, he, he is so incredible. And this is just a couple of starts. I mean, he, his first start was against Arizona. And he just came up three yards short of a 100-yard game on the ground. I think he got over 100 with the receiving yards. But against the Chargers, he, he dominated them. 23 carries for 168. Might have been corrected to 167 for some reason, but 167 and two touchdowns. The run blocking hasn't been all that great out of this offensive line. I, I think their metric suggests that they haven't been a great run blocking unit. So Walker's having to make some tough yards. And if the Giants run defense, which has admittedly been a, a problem for them, it's been a problem for the Seahawks too. If they don't get going, then maybe what we're going to see on Sunday is just a running back shootout for the ages between Saquon and, and Kenneth Walker, the third. Yeah, definitely. And Going to the opposite side of what we're talking about here, but still sticking the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I did see on the injury report that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are both questionable. Do you think they will go on Sunday? I expect Lockett to go. I don't think Metcalf will go. As soon as I hear Patellar tendon injury, I think of just recently Trey Brown, rookie corner last year. He had that injury. Jimmy Graham had it. If we want to go over the Giants, Victor Cruz had that injury, and he was never the same, which sucked because Victor Cruz was awesome. Uh, so luckily, this is not serious enough that it could end a season or anything. He did some limited practicing, but I would expect Lockett to go. What, what's really bothering me is this uh, newly announced rib injury because it was his hamstring that almost kept him out of last week's game. So it looks like the hamstring might be getting a bit better, but now this rib injury could be a problem. And if both of them can't go, then the Seahawks have uh, have some difficulties because that is not a deep wide receiver group that they have. I mean, Marquise Goodwin, 
Uh, he, he had a heck of a game last Sunday against the Chargers, but then you get below him, you get to D. Eskridge, who's had a hard time even getting on the field, and he certainly didn't play well last week outside of blocking. He had a, a pass interference penalty that wiped out a big play to Goodwin. Did he have and a he fumble? A terrible fumble. It, it got credited. He got charged against Geno because Eskridge never actually had the ball. Um, but that's you know neither here nor there. That was a lost fumble by D. Eskridge, as far as I'm concerned. So you get deeper in the depth chart. Penny Hart who's like a special teamer, he's doubtful with a hamstring injury. So you get to Derek Young, and he's a seventh-round rookie, and he, he's not had an NFL catch to his name yet. So if both of those guys can't go, Seattle's going to have to rely heavily on their tight end. So that would be Fat Parkinson, and, and Will Disley, and maybe even involve the running backs a little more often in the passing game, which they haven't done a whole lot of. So Lockett is really the security blanket for this team. And, and it shows you that he's been able to sustain his success with Wilson and with Geno Smith. He's as quarterback friendly as it gets because his catch uh, rate is, is, is extraordinary. It's consistently it's 70 some odd percent and up. Um, he doesn't drop a lot of passes. I don't think he's ever lost a fumble as a receiver. He's lost a couple as a punt returner, but Lockett is so good at moving the chains. He, he's just an ideal possession receiver and deep threat. Whereas Metcalf, of course, you always got to respect because of his deep pass uh, ability. But um, it, it would, I would actually think it would be a bigger blow if they didn't have Lockett on Sunday compared to not having Metcalf, not having both. Um, yeah, not exactly a superstar group of receivers. Either team is, is trotting out there. Definitely agree there. Um, I know obviously we'll get to game prep with, with two different questions in a little bit, but who do you expect to possibly be more of a factor as, you know, you did mention DK is probably not going to play. It's going to be Lockett. Maybe if it isn't Lockett as well, would you expect Will Disley or Goodwin to be a little bit more a part of the game plan? I think they would go with Disley. Um, safe pair of hands, 19 catches out of 20 targets for just shy of 200 yards. And he leads the team in touchdown receptions with three. Um, uh, it's obvious that Geno Spit trusts him a lot. He, he's a good option, especially in zone coverages. And, uh, He's, he's not a speedster by any means, but then again, most tight ends aren't. But he can move in the open field. He, he picks his spots well. So I think with the wide receiver situation, the Seahawks might rely a lot on, on 13 personnel or 12 personnel. So you have one, one back and two tight ends or one back and three tight ends just as a means of getting those guys involved because all three, Parkinson, Disley, and, and um, Fant, they're all viable receiving options. It's not just, okay, this guy's a blocking tight end, this guy's a receiving tight end, this guy's an all-around they can all do receiving and blocking at, a, at, a, at at least a competent level. And Disley, if not for the injuries, he's somebody also had a patellar tendon injury in his second year in the league. Um, it was either – no, it wasn't his second. I think it was his rookie year. He had a patellar tendon injury, and the next year he blew out his Achilles. So the fact that he's even playing is incredible. So Goodwin, he, he's had good rapport with Geno. But I think that especially with the way that the Giants like to blitz so much – uh, with, with Wink Martindale and the fact that Seattle struggled a bit dealing with the, the blitzing from Arizona. I suspect that Shane Waldron's game plan is going to be, let's get the tight ends involved as much as possible. And Disley would be at the focal point of that. Yeah. And the giants have, they sort of struggle with covering tight ends this season. I mean, you know, Mark Andrews had a big game and also they, they do sometimes have the tendency not to cover the hot route on blitzes, which happens to go to the tight end a lot. Uh, but moving on, you were discussing it a little bit, uh, earlier how is the o-line done overall thus far obviously you mentioned you guys drafted abe lucas and uh, charles cross obviously in the first round uh how is that going so far for your team very well um maybe russell wilson is a little bit annoyed 
that that offensive line is playing as, as well as it did because even though Wilson often has created his own chaos, there were some terrible offensive lines that the Seahawks trotted out while he was here, especially that 2017 year, I think, where Luke Jokel was playing one of the worst offensive linemen I think I've ever seen the Seahawks trot out there on purpose. But Cross, day one starter, we expected that. And he, he's, held, he's held his own. I think he's only given up three sacks and two were in the first game against Bradley Chubb. And Bradley Chubb is, is one of the top sack getters in the league at the moment. And then Abraham Lucas, he, he had to earn that job because it was him and Jake Curran battling for that spot at right tackle and Lucas won it. And for somebody who came out of a pass-heavy scheme, his run blocking has been really impressive. He, he's great at pancake blocks, just driving people to the ground without holding them. He's just a strong, strong-ass dude. And uh, I think he's only given up one sack as well. So Lucas and Cross have held up exceptionally well, knowing how often rookie tackles tend to struggle. Even if they become great later on, the first few games tend to be you know, throwing you into the fire and seeing if you survive. And they have both thrived very much. The interior of the offensive line, though, that can be exploited. And Damian Lewis has had a few bad reps at left guard, and this is the second year there after starting as a right guard as a rookie. Gabe Jackson, I don't know if he's going to play this week, um, but he's certainly not been at his best. And if he's out, then Phil Haynes would be the backup right guard. And even he's questionable with a concussion that he suffered last week. So if he can't go, then Jake Curran would be the swing guard tackle option. And I think Kern's probably better at tackle than guard. And then the center, Austin Blythe, he's been all right, I guess. Um, pass protection, I think he's been fine. Run blocking, uh, there, there have been some issues, particularly the safety they gave up last weekend. He was just blocking air, which was bad for the air, but good for the Chargers because Sebastian Joseph Day just ran right past him and tackled Kenneth Walker in the end zone. But all things considered, offensive line has been one of the pleasant surprises. They were very good in preseason, and that has held up in the regular season. And I also want to shout out the offensive line coach, Andy Dickerson, because he's a first-year offensive line coach. Mike Solari, they fired him, and they hired Dickerson. And I think it's not a coincidence that the offensive line play looks more cohesive and looks closer to how the best Rams offensive lines have looked. Talking on mute. <laughs> Never a day I don't do that. Anyway. We actually had Mike Solari during McAdoo's uh, years, but obviously all that didn't work out. Moving to the defensive side of the uh, football, you were talking about the defensive line earlier along with Shelby Harris. Um, obviously, our run defenses are not that good. To, to put it in a positive spin and, and not real be, be real nice about it, which positional weakness has caused the run defense to be so poor? Because for us, it's the linebacker spot. Like, we don't have any competent linebackers. Yeah, I think the defensive line has had a, a really rough time defending the run. And some of it is just the run fits sometimes, with, especially when they have four down linemen. And it just looks so disorganized that they're not being disciplined with their gaps. They're running up the field and basically taking themselves out of place. So the defensive line has been a liability against the run. And Daryl Taylor who is somebody that the Seahawks drafted a couple years ago to be a pass rusher against the run. He'd struggled so much that they basically benched him. And even though he's gotten sacks, strip sacks at that over the last couple of weeks, run defense is clearly not his forte. Um, but the run defense has gotten a little bit better over the last two weeks. And I think there've been some adjustments as far as who's going to line up where and, and, and whether they want to be more aggressive defending the run than they have been to start the season. But I also come up with a caveat that Arizona was pretty banged up and they were down to backup running backs 
And then against the Chargers, the Chargers just don't have a running game. It's, it's near the bottom of the league. They're, they're nothing to be to, to, to fear, certainly. The Giants would be a much different story with the way that Barkley is running. So, yes, the run defense collapsing the way it did to start the season. That was a surprise because Seattle's had slow starts on defense for like three, four years running. But the run defense would normally be stout. This year, totally different because they were giving up 100-plus to Taysom Hill and 100 to Alvin Kamara. Cordero Patterson on possibly a bum knee, which is why he's still on IR, had 140 yards, which is a career high for him. And uh, I don't remember if I mentioned Jamal Williams, but DeAndre Swift is out in the Lions game, and Jamal Williams still ran for 109. So that opening month, it just was some of the most embarrassing run defense imaginable. And these last couple weeks, hopefully, is a turning point. I will say, though, that with Jamal Adams getting hurt opening day, he would have been a, a major part of this run defense, just as that safety likes to play downhill in the box, and he's a pretty good tackler. But without him, there's been a difficult adjustment, and I wonder if that has had some sort of knock-on effect. But in, in totality, the defensive line has been inconsistent, both against the run and getting after the quarterback. But both things have gotten better over the last two weeks. We'll see if it can continue this weekend. Yeah, definitely. And then moving to the other side of your defense, ranking-wise and statistically, they rank 21st. Obviously, well, I'll ask, actually ask you to give your thoughts on Tariq Woolen, but is there anyone else that sticks out in the secondary that, you know, maybe the pass defense is it's not great or maybe is it one game that sticks out and it's just like okay it ruined the stats from there like what's the state of the secondary in the past defense but obviously Tariq Woolen has been uh very good for you guys that's an understatement by myself yeah Tariq Woolen has been a revelation and there was a lot of hype around it because his relative athletic score was off the charts it's like they drafted a super Sherman because Richard Sherman is many things but fast is not one of them Tariq Woolen is a little taller than him, and he's a former wide receiver as well. But his speed is out of this world. In fact, if Seattle's going to be down this many receivers, I got a brilliant idea as far as uh, improving the receiving core for the weekend. Time to tap into those old receiver skills. But for the rest of the secondary, um, Michael Jackson has been up and down. I guess he's been fine as the other cornerback. But the safety play with Adams out especially, Quandre Diggs, Love Quandre. He got traded here for peanuts back in 2019. Thank you, Matt Patricia. But he's not been at his best to start the year. He's mid, He's been missing tackles and just generally not making impactful plays. And I think part of that is he's recovering from a broken ankle, suffered at the end of last year. And I believe there was an interview with him recently or maybe the week before where he admitted that um, it, it, it's been on his mind. And I, I can understand it from, from his perspective. I mean, that's a catastrophic injury. He's never had anything of that magnitude. So you may be hesitant to do certain plays for fear of, of re-injury. So he's been uh, not at his best. And Josh Jones replaced Jamal Adams for the first few weeks. No, no sugarcoating. It was terrible. Absolutely terrible. And Ryan Neal has since replaced him and been an immediate improvement, both in tackling and also in diagnosing plays against the run of the past. He's a much better tackler than Jones. And Jones, who looked good in preseason, well, I, I praise the Seahawks offensive line for being good in preseason and continuing the, into the regular season. We also know there are a lot of people in preseason who look good against fourth and fifth yes. stringers, and then they got to play actual good players, and that's a wrap for them. So Josh Jones fits that bill as somebody who is, in case of emergency, break the glass depth. So now that Jones has been out of the lineup, it has been much better with Neil alongside Diggs. Um, but I guess another person to, to talk about is Kobe Bryant, the other rookie because he started on the outside. He was opposite Sauce Gardner 
in college at Cincinnati. They moved him to the slot, and he got the hook very early in his first game because he gave up a touchdown to Jerry Judy. Um, but with Justin Coleman injured, Ryan had to keep starting, and he's gotten better and better. He's got four forced fumbles. And he's getting better uh, week by week in coverage. So the secondary, even though they've given up a lot of passing yards, I think the corners have been fine. And I'm talking about Jackson, Woolen, and Kobe Bryant in the slot. Overall, they've been a net positive. But the safety play and some of the linebacker play has been a, a bit of a liability for the Seahawks pass defense and why they've just given up so many yards to Jared Goff missing his top couple of receivers or when they got ripped up by, um, by uh, who was it for Atlanta? Marcus Mariota. And some of his also communication issues where it's not necessarily on a single player. So Clint Hurts, first year defensive coordinator. You got some rookies in the secondary. You got some inexperienced players in general on that roster. So talking to each other, they've had some blown assignments that could be attributed to maybe one player or two or both. So if they can get that cleaned up, maybe this can be at least an average defense. But the first few weeks of the season, they were clearly one of the worst defenses in the league. The last couple of weeks, it has it's been a total 180. So this game and maybe the next couple of games moving forward will really determine whether or not the Seahawks' defensive turnaround is for real and they can be um, at, at least an average unit as opposed to close to rock bottom like they were in the New Orleans and Detroit and Atlanta games. Yeah, so moving right into game prep. And I know, obviously, one of them will seem obvious, and it's okay to pick the obvious answer, but two X factors – for the Seahawks on Sunday, one on offense and one on defense? The one on offense, I think, will be their ability to deal with that Giants uh, blitzing because Wink Martindale blitzes more than anybody in the league. And Geno's actually been pretty good against the blitz. But I'm less worried about Geno and more worried about the offensive line and how they're going to be able to deal with all those creative blitzes Martindale likes to do because it's almost like a, a, an amoeba package where you have no idea who's, who's rushing and who's dropping back. And sometimes he just sends everybody. And it's so entertaining to watch, for better or worse, because when it doesn't work, boy, it looks ugly. But if they can deal with the blitz competently and maybe discourage blitzing so much with an effective running game, then that would be huge for Seattle. And then on the defensive side, yeah, the obvious bit would be containing not just Saquon Barkley, but containing Daniel Jones, because Jones got Offensive Player of the Week. And I didn't watch a lot of the Jaguars game. It certainly wasn't on red zone a whole lot. But he, he looked like he played well. He got over 100 on the ground. I think he got a rushing touchdown. Uh, it was on a sneak, right? It was so, on a quarterback sneak, yeah. Yeah, so that was the, the, the winning touchdown or go-ahead score. So we know that Jones doesn't exactly have a great set of receivers, although I do I very much like Wandale Robinson. Liked him in Kentucky, and I think he'll make sure that Giants fans aren't weeping over the loss of Kadarius Tony whatsoever. But, uh, you know, that, that wide receiver group, not exactly – anybody's idea of an elite group and then um bellinger is out with that terrifyingly bad eye socket injury so the passing game with daniel jones i think could be limited but him as a runner especially scrambling being a designed running threat that's something that seattle's got to watch out for especially given that against mobile quarterbacks they have had issues containing guys so kyler murray got 100 yards rushing even though he didn't do anything in the passing game uh, of notes he still was able to get his yards um, Taysom Hill, I just mentioned, he didn't even start that game. He threw one pass, but every time it was in the game, it was chunk play after chunk play on the ground. And Marcus Mariota also had a touchdown run. So that's been a problem for them for the last couple of years. And it's kind of a team speed issue as well as eye discipline. But if Daniel Jones could get going as a runner, 
and you have Saquon Barkley going as a runner, then Giants fans should feel pretty good about their chances because Barkley, even if you got a good run defense, he is so shifty. He is so fast. I am so happy to see him back to, I won't say at his absolute best, but close to it because he was a marvel at Penn State. He was a marvel when he first got into the league, just that the injuries have been a problem and the offensive line also wasn't blocking for him. This has been a very different story. And Barkley is somebody that the Seahawks didn't face a couple of years ago because I think that's when he tore his ACL. But this is going to be the first time playing him. And I hope they're ready because if Saquon gets a little bit of space, um, that, that could be trouble because they're not too many guys other than Tariq Willen, I guess, who would be capable of chasing him down. Yeah, definitely. And then from maybe looking from an outsider standpoint for the Giants, two X factors that, you know, I guess you stated the, uh, the Giants and that stuff. If you were a Giants fan, Giants defensive coordinator, whatever, two X factors, what would you keep an eye on? Um, pretty much the opposite of what you just said in terms of the X factors. Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. So I'll, I'll go with the Giants defense first of what they can do to the Seahawks offense, because even though they've just been scoring at a, at a ridiculous clip since the, the third week of the season, um, it hasn't been perfect. Now, in the first half, Seattle is, is one of the tops in the league in scoring. I believe they're second in points scored in the first half. Second half, they drop off. So if they can contain the Seahawks offense out of the gate, then that would be huge for, for New York because Seattle, I believe, leads the league in first quarter points scored. Um, other than the Chargers game, they've been able to – and the 49ers game because they didn't put up an offensive point. Their opening drives are pretty good. They normally get a field goal or a touchdown out of it. So they come out of the gates fast. The Giants don't really care if they trail early because it seems like if they're down 10, if they're within a near shot, they've got a chance. But still, if you want to avoid heart attack football, then – stifling the Seahawks offense early could go a long way towards potentially get, getting the win on the road because the second half offense has been inconsistent. It was really good against the Chargers last week. Wasn't that good against um, Atlanta. And I think they only scored uh, three points in the second half of that, of that game. They didn't score in the second half against Denver. So that that'll be key for, for the Giants defense to get off to a good start and force some turnovers, force some punts early and get Seattle out of rhythm. And then for the Giants' offense against the Seahawks' defense. So Saquon Barkley is obviously uh, an X factor that we've already mentioned. And Daniel Jones, of course, being able to uh, do some stuff with his legs. And the fact that he's kept his turnovers to a minimum. That's been the big surprise to me is that he's normally one to give one away or give a, a fumble up. But I think he's only got four or five turnovers. So Brian Dable has done a fantastic job of, of limiting the turnovers there, maybe in the same way that Josh Allen went from turnover machine to somebody who plays a lot more in control of things, even though he's capable of something spectacular. I, I would say if you can attack the underneath routes, because the Seahawks have been willing, especially schematically to give up plays that are four or five yards. If you're willing to take short stuff and, and not go for, for the big deep passes, that's how Seattle has been exploited over the years under Pete Carroll. So it's not necessarily just going for 50, 60-yard bombs, although that's not really the Giants' offense. If you can get checkdowns to running backs, if you can run screen passes, boy, the Seahawks have had a problem with that for years. So it's kind of like play within yourself and attack Seattle in areas where they are willing to concede yards, especially the first few weeks of the season and much of last year. It wasn't necessarily deep passes that were, were destroying them. It was intermediate throws, um, busts in, in, in zone coverages, and also just check downs to running backs, check downs to tight ends. If you can go there, 
turn three yards into nine, then you're going to be able to stay out on the field. And Seattle will, will have to do the bend but don't break, which I despise. But it, it's not been difficult over the course of the season to get into the red zone against the Seahawks defense. So if the Giants are able to sustain drives through just keeping it simple, then it could be a long day for, for the Seahawks as a team. And then who do you think is taking this game? Oh, boy. Well, it's a rainy day in Seattle, and I know people want to make jokes about that, but it has been, and I'm, I'm out in the Portland area, but in the Pacific Northwest, we've had, I think, like a month and a half's worth of just nonstop sun and a lot of unseasonably warm temperatures. We had wildfires out in the area, and the air quality was absolutely in the gutter for that reason. But a rainy game, I think, lends itself to both teams wanting to run it a lot. Rainy day, and both teams are missing key, key weapons. So I think that's, that crowd is going to be amped up. I believe the Giants absolutely have a chance. It, it's insane. I, I'm looking through their record. They haven't trailed by more than 14, and they also haven't led by more than eight. So I don't think a blowout is in the cards for either team. But with Seattle at home, they've got the crowd behind them, maybe a chance to, to rattle the Giants' offense, get them into false starts, you know, the, the, and delay of game penalties, the types of things that the crowd has been known for over the years. I think Seattle might just take it something like 24 to 21. This is going to be a down-to-the-wire finish. And the Giants can't win every close game. I mean, they didn't win every close game. They lost to, to, to Dallas. But um, this is one where I can see it going – really back and forth where Seattle starts out well, but the Giants come right back. We, we can see some explosive runs from Barkley, explosive runs from Walker, timely third down convergence from Geno Smith, a couple of key scrambles from Daniel Jones, um, and, and even some throws to Wandale Robinson where he takes something short and goes you know, 20, 30 yards. I'm picking Seattle. I don't feel comf- confident about it whatsoever. Uh, I've been very willing. I'm not that much of a homer. I've been willing to pick against the Seahawks a lot this year, and it's burned me. But uh, I think this weekend they, they can get a win and uh, ex- keep their lead in the NFC West. And then lastly, where can people find you on social media and your work? Well, you can find me on social media at Mookie Alexander. It's in the uh, handle right below me. And uh, I'm also in charge of the Field Goals account at Field Goals. Uh, I'm not on Instagram and I'm barely on Facebook. So really, Twitter is the best way to contact me. Heckle me, praise me, whatever. I'm always there, and I'm willing to respond to most people. I don't block that much. Anyway, um, you can read all my work over at fieldgoals.com, where uh, I am the producer slash managing editor. Giants, Seahawks, about, I think it's 4, 4 or 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's 1 o'clock on the West. Mookie, great discussion, great analysis overall. Thank you for coming on, man. Thank you for having me on, Alex. Peace out, everybody.